0: If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Coran. That's
1: what right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 133, Challenges for Junior Devs with Monarch Wadia. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be having a great uh, advocate for new developers on here, as I've already said, Monarch Wadia on the show. Uh, we had a really good interview uh, with him. Lots of great insight into uh, beginning or beginners versus changing jobs versus a whole bunch of other stuff. So uh, really, really packed episode. I hope you enjoy it. And if you uh, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. Uh, another friendly reminder that our weekly goals app, Public Trello, is still chugging away Mike's doing his thing so uh you know you can follow us on that and um or you can follow along on that on that Trello board now uh today as I've already said we're talking with uh, Monarch uh, which is an industry veteran and founder of Mintbeam an organization that has hosted over 150 events including hackathons webinars and workshops and these events have spanned over 100 campuses across over 150 cities internationally and while that's already a lot you know Busy guy, Monarch is also the founder of Zero Projects, which is a software development firm in Toronto, Canada. So I'm going to cut to the call now. I hope you guys uh, really enjoy it because uh, we did, and uh, we'll see you over there. All right, everyone. We have Monarch Wadia on the line here. Hopefully I said that correctly. Uh, we just had a great little uh, conversation for the show here and hopefully continues in uh, to the show. So Monarch, uh, you know, kind of take the floor. You know, what are you up to? Uh, what's your background? And, uh, you know, what do you uh, what do you got in store for us here and the uh, the listener?
2: yeah thanks a lot um i am a software developer i have nearly 10 years of experience in the industry and the last year or so i've been of course working on client projects because my main business is software development and consulting for for clients but for the last year, this is what really gets people more excited is I've been doing hackathons and I've done, my team and I have done uh, more than 150 events, in, including, I believe we're hitting the 90 something it hackathon. Maybe we're at the 100 mark and about 50 or 60 workshops on top of that. And we do these every single week, week after week. Uh, we used to do them three times a week and now we're doing them once a week because we we decided that three times a week was too crazy. And uh yeah, we've had, we've had engineers from Netflix, uh, Tesla. Um, we've had people from MongoDB come in. Uh, we had the co-founder of GitHub come in and, uh, do, do a fireside chat with me. Um, we've had so many great people just. Come into the ecosystem, and all these hackathons—they're for junior developers. They're for, of course, anybody can attend, but they're intended to be for junior developers who are looking for jobs and who want to grow their portfolios and their careers. And I've been talking to hundreds of them, possibly uh, thousands of them, depending on the month. Um, And uh, I've I've just gathered so many amazing stories over the last year, and I'm here to share everything that I've learned with uh, with your audience. So thank you so much, uh, Mike and Matt, for for having me here. Of course, yeah. And I actually when you were just talking
1: there too, I just thought up a question that isn't on, isn't on the uh, isn't on the show notes, but I just thought of something that's interesting. So, Mike and I have actually uh we've been to minimal uh sort of events uh for startups and entrepreneurs and stuff like this. And we we've noticed that even with our minimal uh sort of exposure to events that there's a lot of agencies and a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of developers or entrepreneurs even in other industries that are very um sort of um, they're like, they're like, they don't go to events and they're not very public, but they're very successful. But I find that like people that, you know, go to the events and stuff like this, you know, the events seem to like, you know, sort of garner excitement. And there's a lot of like, you know, there's a great opportunity for learning there. And like, you know, if, if there's talks at, at said events by those, like the big names, like you're saying or something. Um, So like, what, what would you say to someone? Cause Mike and I do actually struggle with this actively is, what would you say to somebody that says like, okay, I'm a new dev, and I want to start. Like I, I, I want to do web dev, but I don't know where to start. I don't even know what HTML is, and I want to start learning. But you know, they're stuck between I gotta, you know, uh, sit at my home and read, you know, read the textbooks and do the code and whatever. Just hard sit, sit alone and work it out versus them going to events. Because I do know that we that we see to sort of contrast that, we do see a lot of people that struggle the opposite way where they think that they're obligated to only go to events and they constantly want to be networking. But then when you talk to them, you're like, Hey man, like how did X project go? You know, maybe you talked to them six months before and it hasn't gone anywhere because they've gone to event, 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 event. And they haven't actually, you know, sat down and done like the hard work, I suppose. Like, what do you think about that contrast? Like, is there like a 70, 30 split? Is there no rule to it? Like, what do you
2: think? That's a great question. That's actually a fantastic question because it's, I get questions like this all the time. What should I be doing? Should I be applying to jobs? Should I be networking? Should I be attending events? Should I be doing hackathons? Should I be coding? Should I be doing, um, you know, Hackerank and LeetCode? And the, the the golden ratio for me is uh, 80-20. You, you should be 80% coding and 20% other things. Um, the nice thing about hackathons is you can go to the hackathon and meet other people and be out there and still be coding. So it's a really great way to hit that ratio where you're coding for, you know, five days out of seven, you know, six days out of seven, more or less. And then one of those days you attend a workshop and you dedicate to networking and meeting other people and gaining new perspectives. And that's what a lot of the people in our community really enjoy too is just the opportunity to work on a project along with, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 people uh, who are their peers and similar experience, uh, similar mindset. They're all working on the same project together, and then at the end of the day, they kind of just, uh you know, meet and uh they just shoot the breeze and, and chit chat with each other and, and learn new things. And who knows, some of them, uh, some of them even find jobs out of the networking that happens. But by and large, most of them find a job um, after having developed their skill to a certain level. And... That's really what the hackathons at Mintbean are all about. So Mintbean is, we, we do hackathons for people to come in and learn how to code and practice their skills and really, really let the rubber hit the road and, and learn the hard way. But at the same time, it's structured and guided. And, and our, our, our hackathons are sort of more focused on the coding aspect. I, I just tell people to code, just, just code. Everything else will eventually take care of itself. If you don't code, nothing will fall in place. But if you code, other other things, the universe tends to open its doors if you just ask. And the one thing that the universe can't give you is coding. You have to grab that yourself. You have to grab that skill set yourself. So that's what I tell people.
1: And if you're at like, let's say like a... Uh, an impasse, let's say, so let's say you're, you're at that zero level, like you've never coded before, but you're just not sure, you know, you just, you know, you haven't actually decided like, yes, I'm going to program or like, no, I'm not going to become a programmer. Um, what would you say for, for those people? Cause I know that some people will, you know, in other industries, they'll go to, I don't know, seminars and talks and stuff like that. Uh, do you think that for someone that is actually at zero and they're like, Hey, like, I don't know if I want to get into this. Do you think that they should be attending like an event and then start coding? Or do you think that they should start coding first, just so that they can kind of, I don't know, I guess, add value to some of those chit chats at hackathons and such? I think you should
2: just, I I think regardless of whether they're getting into events, they should be coding. And they should be trying to solve problems, trying to build stuff um, at whatever level they're at. So if you're at zero, you've you know, maybe never coded before, then sit down and try and, you know, code up a single function. Learn what a variable is. Learn what a function is. Try and build a function that adds A and B together and returns A plus B. And do a little Hello World app. Build yourself up to a simple website and start seeing, start wetting your feet and seeing if this is for you. And if you, if you inherently get some joy out of coding, then pursue it. And start going deeper and deeper into it. At some point, you'll have either a solid, yes, I want to go into this, or uh, maybe this isn't for me, and you'll get your answer. But whichever direction you go in, if you're a coder, you code. And you code a solid eight hours a day. And if you want to know if that's for you or not, the only way to really know is to code. So regardless of whether you go to events or not, I think just coding is the important part.
1: That's perfect, I think, for our listeners, because I know that a lot of them are stuck in what, you know, the industry commonly calls tutorial hell, uh, where they're just like sitting there and they're just like, maybe they're not going to events, especially in this sort of like COVID age, but they're they're uh, sort of sitting there being like, okay, I got to watch another YouTube video, another YouTube video. Oh, I have I better read up on this. And they're just not um, even getting into that hello world, or maybe they do the hello world, you know, the quote unquote, my first app of whatever uh, they're trying to learn. And then they just read the documentation and i think that uh you know you reinforcing the fact that hey like you just need to get in there and actually practice is like super super important especially for someone on the fence but also someone that's really at the beginner level instead of worrying about all like the flashy events and all the rest of it to just to just like what you said just code try it out if you like it you like it if you don't you don't but like at least you've tried it and actually done it rather than just kick the tires and read and watch youtube videos so
2: yeah, it's, uh, it's super simple when you get down to it. Either either you're coding all day, and that'll automatically, over time, gain you the skills you need to become a senior developer or an architect over time. Or you're not coding, or you're not coding as much, and maybe coding isn't for you. Maybe you can go into something that's related to coding. Um, there are a lot of technical project manager positions out there, a lot of uh, product manager positions out there. And those positions don't require hands-on coding. Coding is a trade. I, I consider it a trade, and I consider it as something that should be labeled a trade, just like carpentry, just like uh, plumbing. Um, those those are very old professions, and they're very structured. And they have systems of apprenticeships, and they have systems of, um, of training and, and passing knowledge from master to student. And we need that system in software development. And that's the real... That's that's the real attitude that coders should have is, I'm a craftsman and I'm going to perfect my craft. And if you're not of that mindset, then maybe coding is not for you. So um, the only way to find out is to code and all the events in the world and all the tutorials in the world won't help you know if coding eight hours a day is, uh, is your jam.
1: That's I really like that you take. called it a. Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Mike. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I think. We're I was going to say
2: I really, I really like that you
1: that you equated it to a trade. Actually, because Mike and I recently um, have taken on a couple jobs where we just basically had to go uh, and uh, you know do to just due to the situation or just due to whatever we were like, okay, we have to like you know throw together or fix this or maintain this like existing code base. Usually, it's a WordPress. And what you would basically have to do is like, I, I've always told Mike is like, oh, we'll just clang on it until it like until it starts working. Sort of like, I guess, like a mechanic at like a demo derby or something. You're just like banging on this thing until it works. And that's exactly kind of what you're doing is, you know, you're not working with cars or you're not working with plumbing or you're not working with, uh, with whatever. But you are absolutely building something or fixing something up until it works. 100%. And in
3: some know. cases, those things that you're building could be life critical systems, and I think treating it as a trade is like a really interesting mindset on that front. Because especially when you're building any sort of life critical system, or you know, just convenience systems, it is still uh, important that the people that are trained and able to perform that task are trained in the proper way and not just kind of thrown into the fire. Um, so yeah, cool, cool uh, interpretation of the industry. That's awesome.
2: You know, I read this book called um, "Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance." I don't know if you guys have heard it. I've heard, heard about of it. it. Or... It's a great book. It's a great book, and it 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 starts off very famously by saying, "This book is not about Zen, and it's not about motorcycles, and it not it's not about maintenance." Um, what what it's what what it said? One of the things that they talked about, it turns out that it is about Zen and it is about motorcycles and it is about maintenance, but they, the, the author refuses to say that explicitly. Anyway, it's an interesting book. One of the things that the author talks about in there is when you're a mechanic and you're working on, on an engine you're, you're, or, or any other part in a car or motorbike, um, you're, you're not really working on the physical thing. That's in front of you. You're actually working on a concept that's in your head and you, you have this blueprint in your head that, that, that's very real for you. And you're trying to make sure that that blueprint and physical reality correlate that that's how an engine works is everything just has to be precise down to, I think, the fourth decimal place in order to make that engine go. And all of that is just concepts in your head. So when, when you look at even. You know um, things like carpentry and and plumbing or any other trade. There's a concept in your head where a uh, uh, you know a, a dovetail joint is a certain shape and it works a certain way. Um, when you're when you're attaching two pipes together and you're making a joint. I don't know. I'm, I I know nothing about carpentry and plumbing, so I'm going out on a limb here. But you have a certain concept in your mind about what. A certain configuration is going to do. And that is exactly what software development is. That's exactly what software development is. And just because you're working in an office in front of a keyboard doesn't mean that you're working any less with your hands and with your, with your head than somebody in a trade or um, somebody who's in any other, in in any other creative art or craft. Like a, a writer does the same thing. A pianist does the same thing. It's just. We've somehow artificially divided all of these um, uh, all of these activities into different, really complex categories, and it's all the same. You just have to do it, and if you're not doing it, you're not doing it. So,
3: mm-hmm. absolutely, um, yeah. So, like, I like I like that, that that you brought that up right now because you mentioned a bunch of things in a couple of emails that we kind of exchanged, and. Full credit to you, Monarch. Uh, I kind of took just your four points and created the show notes just based on your four points because they, they align <laughs> with our way of thinking as well. So well that I was just like, wow, that's like, if I was writing show notes, that'd be ex- the exact kind of structure that I would write the show notes in anyway. So one of the points you made, uh, I'm just skipping ahead here a little bit, uh, is employers claim to be too busy to train new developers while paying lip service to truisms like skills don't matter, attitude does. I mean, that's a really good point in terms of like, you know, you get thrown into the industry as a junior developer, as a new hire, whatever. And depending on your job and depending on the employment, it could be widely different on how you get trained up. Some people don't get trained up. Uh, Like in startups, everyone's resources are stretched super thin. So junior devs are just expected to kind of sink and swim. And a lot of them like can't sink because you're like, okay, I'm first of all, especially if it's a remote kind of mentality, uh, you're just sitting there in front of a computer, with no one talking to you, and you have maybe a task or two to do, and you have no one to kind of reach out to. So it's a huge, I think it's a huge issue in our industry. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on it. I know you kind of, you're the one that set up this point. So I'm curious to see where you think the industry should go and where you think the industry is right now.
2: Well, it comes from my own experience. I my first job, I was, um, I was fired because, uh, because I, according to them, because of performance issues. My first job as a software developer. And my side of the story is, well, I got hired and I got into that job and I was really excited about it. And they put me under a software developer whose task list was so heavy that he just didn't have the time to train me and he didn't have the time to show me the ropes. Uh, I made really rookie mistakes, like uh, spending too much time on documentation, spending way too much time on tutorials. Not writing enough code, and uh, I thought the product manager was the person I was reporting to, which is a classic mistake um, but uh yeah man like i I felt victim to this too, and it was hard it was hard. This happens to a lot of people i've I've heard of this happening I've, I've known people from the mintbean community who went through this too, and it's heartbreaking when it happens like it almost broke me
3: yeah i can I can imagine because honestly like i i'm I, I have a couple developers working under me right now on a couple projects, and I really try to bring them into the to the fray and try to get them on calls on a fairly regular basis. But I'm also kind of uh, putting putting them in a in a little bit of a position of the same thing, like sink or swim. Now they're doing great, um, and based on their performance, I will adjust my way of uh, mentoring them. Uh, but I feel like I could f- definitely use a system or some sort of training in terms of training as well. So. I'm wondering, like, that apprenticeship thing keeps kind of going around in my head. What do you see as a structure that could benefit uh, this system where there is some sort of, you know, set apprenticeship for junior developers uh, before they get into the industry?
2: You know, um, oh, where to start? Um, Can can I address... uh... the 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 problem that you're facing right now with your developers of course because maybe that's something that i can so so we've been remote for ever since we started for four years and we've we had an office very briefly just before covid and then covid happened and then we got rid of the office unfortunately bad timing Uh, we got an office about six months before covid started and uh yeah the the thing that works for us is when we have junior developers we set up a daily touchpoint with them so that they're never left um, they're never left to their own devices for too long. And sometimes, if they're in a critical project or if they're given important work, we ramp that up to twice daily touchpoints, just half an, half an hour standing calls that are either opt that th- that are opt out. So if they if they think that they don't need it, they'll message and say, "Hey, I don't need that call." What that gives you is just. You have a set structure where if you have, say, three junior developers, you have, you know that you have, say, from 4pm to 5.30pm, I'm going to be doing half-hour calls with each of them, and if they don't need it, they're going to reach out and just let me know that, hey, I don't need that call. And it works really well for most developers, That's that's been my experience, and it doesn't matter if you're remote or not, I think a little bit of sink or swim is necessary, but after you're hired, I think the the appropriate way to help them out is just let them struggle with the problem and then unlock them once they have a conceptual understanding and then keep doing that just time to time. So they might be struggling with API calls, unlock them on that after they've struggled with it for a day. Then they might be having trouble with databases, unlock them on SQL queries, like just teach them what they need to know so that they can move on with their task. But there's a fine balance. You can't spoon feed them. So for me, the golden the golden ratio is about you know once a day, half an hour, maybe twice a day, half an hour.
3: Is that, is that aside from a daily stand up? Because I know f- for us, we do a daily stand up, and that's where I kind of gauge how much time I need to spend on on any new hire or junior developer. So if they, you know, in the first week, if they're able to complete, you know very simple tasks or very simple ramp up procedures i know that they might not be as needing of structure so i kind of leave them to their devices um but as in like if in the daily stand up they are struggling that's when i spend more time with them that's been my approach but uh i kind of like the idea of having besides that daily stand up where we only really get to talk to them for like 5 minutes a more structured 30 minute approach um do you do the same thing with the daily stand up and a structured approach or is it one or the other
2: So we used to do daily standups and we stopped doing daily standups because we realized that daily standups were actually filling in for gaps in process. Mm -hmm. So we stopped doing daily standups about, I'd say three months ago, and things have been going a lot smoother since then. Daily standups were really disruptive and we've seen productivity go up since we stopped. But when we did do them, um the reason we did it was because we didn't have like there was just way too much communication overhead. We had a different problem. If you are still doing daily stand ups, that's a great time to that that's a great time to go into it if that's how you guys are using it that's great as long as as long as they have a daily touch point, I think that's the most important thing as a junior developer, it takes about it, it, it takes I would say twenty to thirty hours all said and done of training to like, like actual face-to-face meetings to really become more independent and get closer to an intermediate. And it, it, it really, it really needs to be, um, sprinkled on top of it. It Can't be just daily meetings. It has to be sprinkled on top of regular daily work. So for us, we push them into the deep end, (laughs) but, but then, but then what we do is we throw them, um. We have a daily touchpoint that acts as the uh, as the lifeboat. No, what what do you call it? A life uh, life vest? I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, a life vest. So the daily the, the daily touchpoints act as a life vest, but we definitely throw them in the deep end because that's the only way they learn. What is your What is your thought on
1: on so like? I know you said you kind of changed or revolutionized your process there, but like, what is your thought on? Um, I guess taking stock or maybe auditing your own process like should you be taking a section of time every week and being like hey let's take a look at our process is doing or do you just sort of actively fix it where you're like i don't know you're bored or something of the the daily (laughs) stand-ups and you say hey you know i i just want to i think we should do away with this or maybe the meetings are you know supposed to be scheduled for an hour but 15 minutes in everyone's done talking so it's kind of the writing's on the wall like how much time do you really budget or do you uh for sort of procedural almost like infrastructure changes
2: Uh, For us, it's super organic. At our size, we're 10 people, it makes sense to be organic because um, one person, namely me, will just say, hey, okay, we're changing the process. And just convincing other people to come on board becomes a matter of going back and forth on Slack, deciding the pros and cons of this approach. And sometimes they say, okay, sometimes I'll give in and say, yeah, you guys are right. You guys are making good points. Um, At other times, I'll ask for a structural change, and people will say no. Uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and they'll and they'll say that I'm right. But you know, regardless of creating buy-in, I think I think in our case, we just make the changes and we experiment with them. So, move fast and break things philosophy, a la Zuckerberg, um, is what works for us in in our case. But your mileage may vary. Your culture, your team, your company's DNA would would dictate what works and what doesn't work in your case
1: interesting because like i think i think one of the things that like uh, mike and i so mike and i kind of uh, contrast each other well because um so like i we kind of deal with different sides of the of the business um and like i'm i mostly deal with just just three people total myself of course mike and then uh one contractor that we have and then mike has his own sort of side of the business where he works with some other some other folks as well and i'm always that guy that's like i don't maybe maybe it's my training or whatever because i used to work in it but it's like uh i will i will always like Look for infrastructure changes. Like I always mentioned to Mike, like, hey, we're kind of growing at this rate. Maybe we should be talking about, you know, getting a dedicated server for this or whatever. And I'm always uh, maybe even too cautious about uh, doing infrastructure changes or changing infrastructure or setting it up. And maybe I need to do a little bit more of the, you know, just try it and see if it like clang on it, as I said earlier, uh, see if it see if it works, see if it see what we can break, see what we can fix. Because uh, I know Mike will even probably um, attest to this, but like I'll like sit there for a while and like plan and plan and plan and plan and plan. And then it gets to a point where it's like there's going to be stuff that comes up that you're never going to be able to, you know, uh, anticipate effectively and it's the same with, like, teaching the the, the devs, like you're saying. Like, there's going to be problems that they come up with that you think is just something that's super – like, you might teach them, teach them, teach them, like, 10 lessons. But then there's, like, some 11th lesson that you never wrote, but that that's what they're really stuck on. And it's just something you can't anticipate, right? So maybe I need to try a little bit more of the, um, the sink, sink or swim, I guess, for myself approach.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's uh... – i I sometimes agonize over the details too and for me i think i used to do that a lot and then i realized that hey you know what if i just make the change happen and let the chips fall where they may very often the rest of the team kind of comes together and fills in the gaps and fixes my mistakes for me so um it's it's kind of like okay I'll, i'll i'll go in this direction and then uh, Claire will come up and say, hey, look, uh, you're making this error and judgment over here. And that's really valuable. So I, I depend on my team to check me um, rather than the other way around. Like I, I, I treat everybody around me as, um, as smarter than me. And I trust their judgment just as much as uh, they, they trust the direction in which I go in. But they don't trust me too much. And I like it that way.
3: <laughs> that's good. It's always good to have people that can keep you in check. Yeah, I find that important. Um, okay, cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for that insight on new hires. Let's move on to another topic here, which is senior versus junior devs. So, Monarch, you said senior devs are extremely well paid, but eighty percent of junior devs struggle to find their first jobs. True. It seems to be difficult to break in to break the pay gap for junior devs without leaving the company and jumping jobs every few years. Is there a better way to do that? What do you think? So the question is: is is they're a way to increase your salary without jumping jobs. Exactly. Yeah. It just seems like that's kind of the standard way nowadays. Like if you go ever go on a forum or, you know, indeed job sites, everyone's like, oh, you just leave your job. Uh, and that seems to be what everyone's kind of mindset is with being a junior dev. Um, but there has got to be a better way because, you know, employee retention is one of the most important things in a company because, you know, everyone knows it costs way more to hire a new employee rather than, you know, promote a, from within. mmm it
2: It's something that I struggle with because I grew my salary by jumping every two years, and yeah. I know it works, and it's something that definitely works for increasing your salary but you know i've I've seen people who've stayed at their job for um seven eight years, and their pay has steadily grown they've gotten promotions they've been appreciated at their job. And the company has done a genuinely good job of retaining them because they align they, they align their interests with the employees' interest, whether that's giving them a higher salary, or if that's being more flexible in hours or being more flexible about, about vacation time or being more understanding about somebody's personal life situation. I, I think the key is if you're not happy with your with your paycheck, you should either talk to your employer and ask them you know ask them for a raise or you should leave and i'm 100 behind that and i think that every everybody should act in their own interest that's that's my take on it on the other end, as an employer of course it's not good for my company for that so what i do is i hire juniors and i tell them straight up that hey look if you're going to uh leave the company i will support you in getting that second job that the next job and if there's anything I can do, if that means references, that means references, that's fine. Just let me know well in advance so I can plan for your exit. And that way, um, whenever I get a reference check from somebody who's looking to hire somebody who's working at my company right now, um, I, I already know that that person is leaving. I'm already looking for a replacement. I think it's just the nature of the industry right now where... um it, we're, we're dealing with an industry that's moving so fast and it's grown so fast that companies haven't kept up with the pace and you can't blame companies for that. You, 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 all you can do. And of course, we're a small company and we have our own limitations in terms of, um, how much we pay, how much, um, we offer a lot of flexibility and a lot of mentorship. That, that's what we excel at. But we we generally hire juniors and we generally don't pay that well. So of course, they're going to leave one day and when they leave, I'll be right there helping them to get that second job. And we've helped our employees with resume reviews, with interview help, and even with hunting for their next job. That's not something that we shy away from. And we find that that actually motivates employees to stay because they know that if they ever want to leave, we'll be there to help them and our interests are aligned and there's a certain comfort in knowing that your employer has your back. So, it's it's just about being a good human being on both ends. If you want to leave and you want to jump jobs, be fair to your employer when you do it. Don't just, you know, say you're quitting and then leave the next day. At the very at the very least give them the minimum 2 week notice. And if they're an understanding employer, then work with them and make sure that their their company, their business doesn't suffer when you leave. Um other than that, I think every single person in the workplace should be acting in their own self-interest. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
3: Cool. Honestly, that, that, that's really good advice. Um, I think the transparency that you guys give, uh, and I'm assuming just, just like a follow-up question is, is that something that you would tell the employee when you're in the hiring process, like when you've, uh, or after they've been hired kind of thing right away, or is that something you tell them down the line, uh, during like a performance review, uh, which part, uh, so uh, the fact that your your understanding of the fact that they might be g- going to look for other jobs and you're willing to help them in that front just as long as they give you you know your prop the proper notice and stuff like that, just being that transparent with them.
2: We start that conversation early during one on ones, so whenever th- there's always a time when you get a hunch that um, a certain developer is going to leave and and whenever I get that hunch, I, I just bring it up with them and say, hey, um, just at a hunch, w- wanted to let you know that this is how I deal with um, employees who want to leave. And if you, if there's anything that you need us to fix, please let us know. But if you want to leave, then I'll be right there helping you and you can use me as a reference right away. And I just have that. I have the conversation early. Like my team, my entire team knows that when it comes to you know, their careers, I will be there helping them just just in the same way that I'm helping our community with their careers, I will be helping my own team with their careers. And they know that. Every single person on my team knows that.
1: What do you think about the, what do you think about the like sort of, um, I guess it would be a business status or maybe business type being the the thing that's affecting this. So what I mean by that is um, there's sort of like, I don't know, I guess I would call them off the top of my head, legacy web development agencies Mm -hmm. that are sort of like not using the, you know, the latest tech or not using the latest software or whatever, um, but they are building, you know, um, a lot of WordPress sites comes to mind, uh, building sites with, you know, very large, very uh, slow moving, but very, very capable, large uh, enterprise CMSs, stuff like that, right, where they're not on the cutting edge. Do you think that there's a difference there um, with employee retention between, let's say, the company that is – those those legacy companies, if you will, uh, that are still very relevant and the sort of – the guys that are constantly being state-of-the-art, you know, the guys that are using jQuery today and then tomorrow they're using Vue and then the next day they're using React and then, you know, they're always on that state-of-the-art uh, churning through tech but also churning through employees. Do you think there's a correlation there? Do you think that's a thing or what do you think there –
2: so we, um, we've done our fair share of legacy work. In our case, it was Java. Mm-hmm. And I'm half JavaScript developer, half Java developer, and Ruby on Rails at heart. It's kind of like how I describe myself. And, um, on the Java side, we've made the mistake of putting JavaScript developers on Java projects and it doesn't work out well. We've made the mistake of putting Java developers on JavaScript projects and it doesn't work out well. And I think, um, I think you have to hire developers who want to work on the technology that you have in house. And there are plenty of developers out there who love WordPress and who love actually working with legacy code. And if you just put that in your job description when you're hiring, then you'll attract those kinds of developers. And if you filter out for for that trait of wanting to work on an older system, then you'll be more likely to retain the developer. Now, will you be able to find them? I think it could be hard to find, relatively hard to find somebody who wants to work on a legacy system. But it depends on the system. For WordPress, I think, I think it should be pretty easy to find WordPress developers who want to work in WordPress. And, and, uh, I, I think if somebody wants to work in jQuery, Um, It could be somebody who's more junior, who's just breaking into the industry for now, or it could be somebody who's used to working in legacy and doesn't mind working with an older code base. They like the challenge of working with somebody else's code and dealing with that. There's a there's a towel to it. There's a there's a there's a full mindset that lets you that lets you enjoy that kind of work. And I've met many people who enjoy legacy work. So uh, you just have to find the right person, I think. You have to match uh, the person to the work or vice versa. What do you think about like that as a career choice? So I suppose what I mean
1: is, you know, if you're a person that has worked at one of these companies, like a, let's say a big enterprise a CMS company or anything, let's just say a, a WordPress plugin company, doesn't matter, and you've been there for I don't know 18 years—that's quite a bit of time, 20 years, something—you know, of course you're going to like working on that. But there's you know those people that let's say are just getting in the industry right now, or people that maybe someone listening to this is five years into their journey, and you know they really they really liked making a WordPress uh, plugin, and so you know we're kind of calling it right now, you know let's say like we're we're, we're kind of calling it older or like legacy code um and i would say that in terms of being in the zeitgeist i suppose of web development you would that kind of um choice of being like hey you know i really like making that wordpress uh plugin and i think i want to go full into wordpress that would be kind of like shamed or not shamed but like people would be like no 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 like you know jump jobs you know do the do the uh, like you know every couple of years like you said and always use the latest code base never stop whereas someone else <laughs> is like no 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 like i just i think there's a you know market here in wordpress i want to you know stay here what do you think about that as a career move like do you think that's a a good or bad career move do you think that everyone maybe starting today or starting you know within that 5 years should you be doing the state of the art all the time like do you think it's viable to stay with something like wordpress or a big cms like what do you think there
2: you know, I, I know people who do COBOL and Fortran and get paid a lot of money to do it. And those are ancient. Those are prehistoric technologies. I don't the even standards. know what those are. <laughs> 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 COBOL and Fortran, they, they were, they were around right before Java and they were what all the big banks used to build, uh, basically, you, you know how London is supposed to have six layers of city underneath the surface. It's, it's kind of like the the lowest level of all these banks. Um, is built on COBOL and Fortran. Okay. It's like the basement. It's like the basement foundation back from the seventies, and it's ancient. And uh, just when just when COVID started happening, New Jersey put out a call for COBOL developers. They got desperate because there were so few of them out there, and they wanted uh, they wanted COBOL developers, and they were willing to pay very good money for COBOL developers who had at least two three years of experience in COBOL. So if you like legacy. And if you like just sticking to one technology and that's your gem, yeah, man, like there's a market there for you. There's uh it's a, it's a vast wide world. There are people who make money doing uh COBOL and Fortran. There are people who are, are out there making good money doing Ruby on rails and people consider Ruby on rails to be at least on the decline. if not dead. And there's uh there's a market out there for anybody and everybody out there. I think, um I think you have to be pragmatic though, at some level and do your market research and know when you have to exit an industry. That's important too. So yeah, you might like say COBOL or Fortran, but if you don't want to move and all the jobs in your city are not COBOL and Fortran, maybe that's a signal that, okay, well, either you need to move or get a remote job. Or maybe you need to pick up a new technology. So mm-hmm. it's it's very it's very particular to each individual and each. Uh, it, it's very hard to answer questions like this in the, in a specific and black and white way because it, it's it's all it depends. It depends.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I know. Um, I've I've had some dealings with with stuff like Cobalt and Fortran, uh, kind of recently. They're they're mainframe languages. Correct? Is that?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah domain mainframe
3: yeah. languages. So we 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 had business with a large retailer. I can't I can't speak to the actual retailer, but it was very large, and their whole logistics system is on uh, I believe it was on Fortran, and they were saying that like they have such a issue with getting developers that developers that do support Fortran and Cobalt and have the experience with it were just setting their own prices, uh, because they just couldn't say no. So any developer that came to them was essentially hired on the spot. Um, That could support their system, just because they have so much backlog in feature requests. Uh, At one point, I was told that it's a six-year turnaround for any feature that you want to add to this their system right now. Ooh, yeah, six years. Six years, yeah. (sighs) Six-year turnaround because we we were trying to interface with it, and we were just told no, like you you can't interface with it because we just don't have the support. For that so
2: wow highways are built faster than that i like, uh, wow. yeah, i know,
3: I know. <laughs> a real thing yeah a real yeah, big was, thing uh, like <laughs> this was uh, this was quite a shock for us uh and, they, and then they immediately asked hey do you know anyone that has a cobalt <laughs> or, or fortran or whatever like i was just like shocked that it was uh still being used and still being used to such a degree that they were willing to just go out and hire anyone for any amount essentially <laughs> it's uh it's like uh it's like being in a jungle is how i is, how I look at it,
2: is- you know there's evolution going on all around you and over the fullness of time every single niche in the evolutionary landscape is going to be filled so you have uh, you, you have um, monkeys that eat bananas and then they poop and then you have dung beetles that take that poop and they turn that into basically fertilizer and they process that further and then you have uh plants that take that 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 fertilized manure and they and they turn that into uh into, into more fruits and at some point uh, did you know that they've discovered bacteria that eat plastic?
3: I heard about that, yes. I, I heard did about not that know
2: recently. that, no. Mm-hmm. So they discovered bacteria that eats plastic. And this is like groundbreaking. And it came as a shock to a lot of scientists because evolution happened. The plastic industry has been around for, let's say, 100 years. And you wouldn't think that evolution happens that quickly but you already have bacteria that eats plastic and this is happening right now i'm 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 guessing in about another 1000 years if if we're still using plastic to make our computers uh we'll be putting anti like you know anti <laughs> anti plastic eating bacteria to keep our computers from rotting because now they're susceptible to this bacteria and that's that's an example of an evolutionary niche that's being filled and it's the same thing in software development. You have COBOL and Fortran, and you would never have thought that there's a demand out there. But that's a niche that's being filled actively, because guess what? Those COBOL and Fortran systems—they're the bedrock on which our industry is built, and you need somebody to fill that niche of being a, of being a COBOL developer. And that's a very important job. And if nobody fills that niche gosh i don't know what's gonna happen um i mean would you take a job for uh for for being a cobalt developer somebody paid you five hundred thousand dollars a year i think i think i might you know (laughs) yeah i was gonna say
1: i'm
3: I'm gonna immediately start googling cobalt if it's this good like get those (laughs) tutorials going you gotta gotta buy a mainframe you gotta get it going your whole house will turn (laughs) into a computer oh god oh man living (laughs) in a computer uh Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, all right, let's move on to the next topic here, which is, are complex interview questions necessary? So again, Mark, you mentioned employers test candidates on algorithm questions, but rarely need algorithms on the job. It seems like a lot of interview processes are designed to make the candidate as, as uncomfortable as possible. This could be to see how they react in certain situations, but I think it can really remove great candidates that would have been able to work out fine for that company just because they're kind of putting them in an uncomfortable position. Are there any good interview techniques that are beneficial for both the company and the candidates that don't require this kind of, you know, mounting pressure on someone to see if they'll crack?
2: Yeah, you know, the um, the candidate experience is terrible in 2021. And uh, the typical... Um, the, the typical flow goes like this. You, um, you submit your resume. Hopefully you get a call back. Um, they do a phone call, see if you're a human being and see if they can work with you. You know, you're, you're not, you're not a reptilian, right? You, you, you can actually mesh well with our team, right? And, and if they like you, then they give you a technical challenge. And sometimes that technical challenge is an algorithm test, but that's a mistake because if you give a developer an algorithm test, then, are they ever going to use an algorithm on the job? Are, are they ever going to be doing, you know, binary search trees on the job, or are they ever gonna, um, are they ever gonna do fizz buzz on the job, or you know, do a custom sort on the job? Probably not. And they, uh, a lot of really good, solid developers who know their craft get filtered out because they never spent time on algorithms because they didn't see them as useful, or maybe they just found them intimidating. And uh, this goes back to the conversation of treating software development as a trade. I think algorithms fall squarely in the so- computer science side of this industry. And computer science is not a trade. Computer science is, is science. It's, you, you have to sit down and you have to, be, uh, you have to apply mathematical reasoning to, creating, to create something innovative and new. And that's where the true place of algorithms is for for day to day software development. You can just pick up a library or just use your language's inbuilt sort function to do the sorting. And uh, it it really grinds my gears when I see algorithms being used to screen developers, especially for web dev jobs. But it's just the state of the industry, you know. Like this is just how people are people are uh, d- doing their tests. It's it's unfortunate. Um, are there any good interview techniques? I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's one silver bullet that fits every need. Maybe you do need algorithm tests on the job. But what what I found was by doing away with... So, so I hire developers to do web development. And if there's any algorithmic stuff, I'll just step in and help them with the algorithm. Um, and if there's some really hardcore stuff, then we'll sit down and research together and we'll come up with solutions collaboratively over time. But... I don't think I don't think I've ever given a developer an algorithm test. And how I test is I actually watch them code. Uh, it's a pair of programming interview. They have their Visual Studio code open. I'm watching them code. I'm watching them Google. I ask them to show me what how they're googling and what they're googling for. And that in itself has a few pros and a few cons. The pro is I very quickly know if they're gonna if they're gonna cut it. I very quickly know if they understand their tools, if they understand their ecosystem, their community, the libraries out there. But but the con is, if you're particularly stage, uh, if you have stage fright, or if you're particularly camera shy, then you're not going to do very well in that interview. That's that's a trade off. I, I that's a trade off that we're willing to make. But it's not necessarily a trade off that another company will be willing to make. Doing this kind of thing is very expensive for the company. Um, you can't always, um, send a senior developer to interview a candidate. The first technical challenge is a, is a pair programming exercise. It's not really very economically viable unless you've put your effort like we did into your screening system. And it works out for us because we, we we know exactly what we want we know exactly what kind of developer we want we know what their um what their traits are we know how they think we understand our internal culture we know what kind of people would fit in and the the whole system is aligned in that setting a pair programming technical challenge works for us but that's not always the case sometimes your hiring manager doesn't talk to your recruiter And what do you do in that case? Um, Sometimes they're completely separate, completely separate systems. Uh, Large companies, like Fang companies, um, they have completely separated hiring processes. From uh, uh, they don't even involve many of them don't even involve dev managers until the candidate has been hired. Uh, Amazon works like that. First you get hired, and then somebody from the internal team picks you. And that's just not viable for a company of our size. So it, it, it really depends on what what you're trying to do um, as a candidate, you know, your, your audience, a lot of them are junior developers as a candidate. You should know your stuff when it comes to algorithms, because about 40 to 60 of percent of the jobs out there require algorithms. And if you have a mathematical mind, if you have a logical mind that likes algorithms, you should know your stuff. The other strategy that I can recommend, so this is option B, other than knowing your stuff when it comes to algorithms, if you don't want to learn algorithms, if you hate them, option B is don't spend your energy on them, accept your loss and focus on stuff that's going to keep you motivated and keep you interested in software development. So if you want to ignore algorithms, that's fine. Just know that you're going to have to work a little bit harder to get a job because you're probably going to fail every single algorithm test that gets sent your way, which is about half the market. And if that's okay with you, then you will probably be able to spend more time on learning how to build proper software and you won't have to do stuff that you really, really hate. And that's a valid approach to it. So you're sacrificing half of the market in exchange for more... Um, a, a higher chance of getting into those that second half of the market, which doesn't test your algorithm te- algorithm skills, but tests your actual software development skills. And you can you can kind of trade off your time to train yourself in actual software development. So you kind of have two options: you can either ignore them, or you can you can learn how to uh, how to deal with them.
3: Mm-hmm. When That's- when you're hiring uh, like junior developers right off the bat, how much value do you place on portfolio? over traditional education? Uh, I don't place any value on traditional education. Like <laughs> oh, zero. wow. Yep.
2: Zero. Um, oh, wow. I, I think traditional education is nice. And if you're coming from a brand name school... And there's a reason why another company won't hire you. I might look at you and say, "Okay, you're probably not going to get poached by a large fang company." Okay, let maybe I'll maybe I'll take a shot on take a shot and hire you, even if you're a Waterloo grad because other companies won't. But the thing is, it, education. Have you guys heard of education? The signaling theory of education. I haven't. No. Nope. So, signaling theory of education says the education you get doesn't matter that much what actually matters is the brand you get when you graduate so if you if you graduate from say harvard or waterloo um, or stanford or berkeley whatever um, employers see that as a good signal of your ability to do the job. So they hire you. They don't really care about what you learned in school. They only care about the fact that you were hardworking enough to get into that school and you have the intelligence to get into that school. So you're more likely, not guaranteed, but you're more likely to be a good fit. So uh, you can, according to signaling theory, which I have mixed feelings about, I think there's merit to it, but I think you can also talk about how it's uh, simplifying the situation. But according to signaling theory, um, your, your education, what you learn doesn't matter. All that matters is how that translates into getting your foot in the door. So you've spent four years of your life to get your foot in the door. Meanwhile, there are all sorts of people out there, like myself, almost 10 years ago. Struggling to get into the industry, who, who are putting in the hard work, who will understand perfectly well how to build a full stack application, connect front end to back end to database, deploy that onto the cloud, and nobody's giving them the time of day because they don't have—they um, don't have on paper the, the the stuff that that most employers think mean. They just don't have what what the employers are looking for on paper. And I can go into the economics of it. If you guys are interested in why signaling theory works, but there's uh, there, there's there's a lot there to talk about.
3: Yeah, I I agree. Um, I kind of also followed the signaling theory, but not to the degree of like only appreciating larger colleges. The only thing I appreciate about a a degree is the fact that someone can you know start and finish something. That's it. Um, I I all like I more I focus more on the actual work that they've done, and then that will be the the system that will get me to interview them. And then obviously the whole process pair programming is also a part of my interview technique. So I do the same thing. And I know it's kind of a lot of pressure on the person, but in the job that I usually have, like in our sessions, I do a lot of pair programming with my junior developers. So regardless if they're camera shy, it's just not going to work out anyway in our system. So I, I kind of align with your way of thinking now portfolio wise, like when you're looking for a junior developer, is the portfolio super important, or is it really just the resume that they have? Um, for them or for me? For you, for you as a hiring, as someone hiring a junior developer.
2: So, as uh, for me, what matters is not their portfolio, not their resume, but their skills. And you can actually get to know somebody's skills even if they don't have a portfolio, um, if you know them well enough, and if you you have the opportunity to. See somebody at work. So, in the hackathons, that's a great way for us to find talent. A lot of these people come into the hackathon and they don't have a portfolio and they don't have a resume that's really great, but they have the skills, they just don't know how to market themselves. And they end up um, landing first and second place in the hackathon. And we know that this person is a great hire. Um, so much so that before we started the hackathons it was really hard for us to hire and now after the hackathons we have so many people that we can hire from um, it, it's really an enviable position for a company to be in to be able to hire so many junior developers who they know are great bets and um, that that's what that's how we kind of solved the hiring problem for ourselves is we just we just hire from the community now um, so that's one way that you can you can kind of build your, of course it's not for everybody, but that's one way that you can build your flow is, uh, you know, scout talent at hackathons. Um, but yeah, at this point, we've gotten to the point where we don't even look at portfolios. We just look at, you know, how many hackathons have you won? Are you active in the community? And do you seem smart and show me your source code from your hackathon submissions and we'll hire from there. But a lot of the time, Before we would look at their GitHub calendar, I think, I think I value the GitHub calendar more than I value a portfolio. Like I'll, I'll, um, I'll talk to you if you have a completely green GitHub calendar and you have no portfolio. That's, that's my philosophy because you're putting in the work. And, uh, of course, at that point, when, when the rubber hits the road and you sit in front of me and start coding and you can't code, I won't hire you. But that's a great way I, I, I'm willing to spend you know, three, maybe four hours of bad interviews to find that one person who deserves that in into the industry. Uh, I'll spend that extra time to find that one person. But that's me.
3: Yeah, that's cool. That that That's an interesting. The GitHub calendar approach is an interesting way of doing it. And also the hackathon. I think uh, we'll, we'll have to talk a little bit more about the hackathon uh the, hack, the hackathon approach because I know a lot of our community is junior developers and uh, they struggle with doing projects and getting getting out there. They do a lot of, you know, traditional kind of learning courses and stuff like that. But my advice is always to kind of try to get out there, do as many projects as you can because in when push comes to shove, that's what's going to kind of push you forward. And I think the hackathon approach is a great way to achieve that. Now, you were saying that um, you kind of talked to the people that win hackathons, how how do you like how many people get to a hackathon, and how long would it take someone to actually win one? do you think?
2: So about back in August, somebody a developer um, came to the community for the first time, and we do hackathons once a week, right? And these are all the, the way we structure our hackathons is we give you the core MVP of the application. We call it the MVP. And the MVP has the library uh, that you're going to use, A suggestion for the library. Um, 90% of people end up taking the suggestion. It gives you the core user requirements, and it gives you a few different ways to... Um, really embellish your project and polish it up so that it looks and it looks great to anybody who's looking at it we 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 give you instructions on how to build a landing page we give you instructions on um, what kind of content you should be putting on your landing page so that when a recruiter lands on it they'll they'll see it and they'll say wow that's a great great portfolio piece so so we help developers coming in um build their project and then also polish it up so that it's ready for marketing and then we also help them uh showcase it on linkedin so that's that's kind of the core that's how we help our our community start looking for work and uh get noticed and it works it works I, I, we get dozens of stories a month um talking about oh yeah um, i i found more and more i'm getting more and more um attention from recruiters. I'm, I'm getting way more attention from recruiters now that I did this hackathon. Hey, I found a job and thank you so much. I get these messages all the time. And uh, this one developer came in in August and they, and they started the hackathon and they failed completely. They just completely just wiped out. And they messaged me after saying, hey, Monarch, I'm so sorry, I'm gonna have to bow out and I don't think I'll be able to submit anything. Um, it's is just not something that I can do. I'm really sorry. So I I messaged him back and I said, "Hey, um, you know what? Instead of giving up, I understand where you're coming from. It's really hard to submit a hackathon project. But did you learn anything from the experience?" And he said, "Yeah, I learned a lot. I, I learned how to deploy a project." And I said, "Great. So do me a favor. Come back next week." and all you have to do is just deploy a blank white page. And if you can do that, I'll consider that a personal success for you. How about that? So so he went away and he came back next week, did the hackathon and he submitted and he said, yeah, Monarch, I submitted a blank page. I said, great, that's really good. It's a blank page. That's one step further. Did you learn anything? He said, yeah, I learned how, I, I learned how to take it one step further. And the reason it was a blank page was because I had a few bugs and I didn't know how to deal with those bugs. And I said, okay. Well, the next time I want you to submit a broken project. And he did that. And, you know, the fourth, this was the third hackathon, he submitted a broken project. The fourth one, he actually submitted a, a fully working project, but it didn't really win. The fifth hackathon, he, he, he won. He won the fifth hackathon. And in two months after that, he found a job and it paid him sixty-five thousand dollars a year. This is for somebody who came in from a non-development industry. I, I think it might have been retail. I can't remember exactly. Um, Paying thirty, thirty-five thousand a year, I'm guessing. And he got a job as a junior developer, paying sixty-five k. And it was directly as a result of just coding, just coding, 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 coming to the hackathons, and. And he was so thankful, and it it made me feel so good when that happened because that's that's the kind of journey that I see often in Mintbean, and 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 this one just stood out because of this person's grit, this person's just courage to keep going at it, and you, you know it's it's just about coding, it's just about learning how to do it, and over time. Things align as long as you're putting out that energy into the universe and, and telling the universe, Hey, I want that coding job, not with your, with your words, with, with your actions. It will come. And it's just about, it's just about spending time on it. And this is, this is, this is why we like hiring from the hackathons because people who come back over and over again tend to have the kind of grit that's necessary for a developer. So that's why we hire from the community as well. It's not, it's not all altruistic. It's also, it benefits the business because we get a great, we get a great pipeline of talent who, who can fit right into our business. And um, we've hired, I believe, I don't think it's quite ten, but it's close to ten developers on either a full time or a freelance basis from the community already in this one year, uh, for various different projects. And it's a pleasure working with them; they're all smart, talented people.
3: Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's a huge benefit of organizing these kinds of events for the community. Now, just to talk a little bit more on the MintBean stuff, uh, can you explain to us how someone would be able to enter? A hackathon for MidBean—is it something that you would have to do locally, or is it all online right now? Um, do you plan on having local events? What, what's the you know what's the idea behind MidBean?
2: It's totally online. It's all online. It's asynchronous. Um, you don't have to uh, be locked up in a in a room with beer and pizza for forty eight hours with no sleep. None of that. It's self paced. Um, it's a week long. If you're relatively experienced, you can finish it in a couple of days, but it's, uh, you can do it solo. You can do it in a group of two or three developers. And it's, it's built so that it's easy to learn and hard to master. So it's uh, very easy for newbies, but it's also very challenging to win the hackathons for more experienced developers because you do get really good talent coming in and competing. So uh, yeah, it's, it's really for, it's really for everybody you know, come one, come all, because there's, there's a lot over here that we've put in, um, we're, we're completely bootstrapped. We're not trying to grow this into a massive unicorn. This is something that we're growing and building so that we help uh, the community of software developers that's out there. And, and it's a way for me to pay it back. Um, this, this industry has been really good to me and it's a way for me to help others break into it as well.
3: Yeah. What a, great, what a great way to pay it back. I mean, again, to all the junior developers or the people that are just starting out out there that are trying to find their first job, I always recommend doing, you know, getting projects done, getting coding, just code. Because every time that you get into the cycle of, okay, I'm just going to do another course or I'm just going to do, you know, I'm just going to go back to school and do four years of traditional education after I've already done four years. And your expectation after that would be to, you know, immediately find a job. It's, it's not that simple because like we were talking about the whole signaling issue, um, it's just at best a foot in the door. But really, when you get down to it, if you can't code, you can't code and you're not, you're probably not going to get hired. So it's much more important to be able to get out there, code as much as you possibly can, learn all the little ins and outs, uh, like that one story you were talking about, just like, you know, grind it out get get projects done even if it is a project with just a blank page that's still a project next time you can do something better so this is a great way to kind of uh, have a community around you while you're doing it i i do i do plan on checking out mid bean uh and i do really appreciate you coming on and providing such a good resource to the community
2: absolutely mike thanks so much i'll send you guys a discord invite so that you guys can be a part of the mid bean family as well and I, I really hope you guys uh come and join our discord too Awesome. That'd be great.
1: Uh, I do actually
2: have a, a question,
1: a question for you, um, because and it's more of a personal professional question um, regarding myself. And we've talked about this on the show a couple of times in the past, actually. So um, I'm at a point where, OK, so we're, we run a small business, so you have to wear all the hats. And I'm at a point where I get like really, I don't get really good, but I get pretty good, let's say, at like JavaScript Cause I'm working on a project for like a month, two months, three months, whatever. So I'm like working away, working away, working away, whatever, finish that. And then I leave and go to do like, I don't know, the accounting or something, uh, which I don't do the accounting. That was a bad example, but I go and I do like some other business admin thing, um, for like four months. And then I come back and then I need to like work on, I don't know, WordPress. So i work on WordPress for like three months and get really good at WordPress. And then it's like, Oh no, no, no. now you gotta go over here. And so I'm at this point where like, I've had this conversation with Mike several times where I'm at this weird point where it's like, I don't, I'm kind of all over the place. Like, you know, it's the, 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 classic trope of like, uh, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none, but I'm at the point where like, I literally will like lose all my JS knowledge for the most part. And then I got to kind of like go in there and knock the rust off. And I like slowly get it like faster than like a, a, a total beginner would obviously. Um, but like, what would you say to someone that say, because freelancing is so incredibly popular. Like I'm sure that a lot of people that would, let's say they graduate school or they, they are looking for that job, whatever they're doing. And they're looking for that job and they're like, Hey, you know what? I'll try a little freelancing. And they're a beginner. It's their first job they're applying for. They want to do a little freelancing. They look for jobs that are scaled to them. You know, there's a lot of hats to wear. So what would you say to like those type of people? Because obviously there needs to be like you can't – like a person – a lot of people can't just spend all their time coding or all their time uh, doing events. Like what would you say for someone that's trying to do the balance and also because there's that balance, there's like those skill gaps where it's like I can't just be coding because I got to like you know put out a fire on this project. But I can't just be coding in this because I got to go put out a fire on that project. And that's where I personally find myself. Um, where, like, what, what's your kind of advice, I suppose, for someone like that? Like, should you just be like hard, like just saying like, nope, there's a hard limit here. I'm going to stick to this one thing. Or is it just a matter of it being like, you just got to wait for the business to grow? Like, what do you think about that for sort of a freelancer?
2: Yeah, It reminds me of that episode where you guys were talking about getting into Git, and you guys had the Dropbox uh, the Dropbox folder that you guys were syncing all your projects up on. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And it reminds me of that episode where you guys learned Git, and I was rooting for you guys when I was listening to that episode, and, and I, I was so happy that you guys got on Git, and yeah, now you guys see how it works, and it's so amazing, but you still have a few things that are on Dropbox, and that's unavoidable, just... Because of the nature of the business, there are some processes that just can't be shifted over to Git. There's also that other great process episode. I, I don't know if it's the same episode or if it's another episode, but the one with the business processes um, where, you know, you kind of have to you kind of have to realize that at some point as a freelancer, you're, you're either going to go deep into learning stuff like Git and, you know, building up your skill set and that helps your business And you're primarily technical or you go into the mindset of, okay, I'm primarily a business, which means I'm going to focus on my business processes. And the technical stuff is something that I'll hire for eventually. And I think you have to draw a line in the sand and decide Uh, you can't be both forever. I was when I started the business, I was both for about two years, you know, and and then it started deviating. And at this point, I primarily identify as a developer. And I'm starting to realize that the business needs me as a CEO first. And I'm forced to draw the line in the sand and say, okay, the way the business is going, I can either forget about the business and go back to coding full-time, or I can make the really, really, really hard for me choice, because coding was my life for, you know, seven or eight years. Uh, The really hard choice of just giving up coding full-time and, you know, turning it into a hobby and doing uh, business processes and marketing and all that kind of stuff. And and meeting great people like you, which is an amazing plus of being in business and and trying to enjoy the business side of things. And uh, I I think that decision is personal to everyone. I know people who do consulting, you know, technical consulting, and they uh, they, they do the, uh, you know, consulting is really a fancy way of saying freelancing. And, uh, they're very strong technically and they work on other people's projects and they earn a lot of money, but they'll never grow past a certain income because their income is limited by the number of hours they work. And then I know other people who used to be coders and they turned into a 50 person, 100 person business and they decided that they're going to go down the business management route. And they slowly, unfortunately lost their technical skills or they stick, they stuck to what they knew. And it's, it's a hard decision, it's different for everybody. So for me, what I do is um, I spend a lot of my time as a business owner, of course, outside of code. When I'm doing coding, I make sure that I, um, I teach as many people as I know, as as, as, I, can, as I can, sorry. Uh, oh gosh, teaching all the people I know—that would, that would annoy everybody. <laughs> but, <laughs> New lesson but, plan for you guys, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, we've known each other for twenty odd years. I, I have something to teach you. Come here, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, yeah. Like I I I try to keep fresh by mentoring and teaching, and that's how I keep in touch. And and people end up teaching me more often than not. There's this whole new state machine thing that's that's uh that's happening and in, in javascript there are all these new frameworks that are coming out and i'm kind of sitting at the sidelines and watching them all happen and one day i'm gonna snap and i'm gonna just say fuck it so i don't know if you can curse bleep it out if i can if you can't on this podcast. oh yeah go ahead yeah yeah one day i'm just gonna say fuck it i'm gonna go back to coding and it's gonna happen in the next five years i can feel it coming but uh but yeah you have to you have to decide what side what side you're on and it's not a permanent decision but it has to be intentional.
1: Yeah, that's a good, that's a, that's a good insight. Cause I think that's exactly the impasse I'm hitting where, uh, like I'll be learning even something like social media, you know, you think it's easy, it's easy to post, but you got to know all the stats and everything, Learning a little social media. And I got to run over here and do a little bit of WordPress. Now I'm over here doing a little bit of this and a little of that. And then it's just, I'm at this point where I've like, and like Mike and I have talked on show and off air of like, back in the day, you know, even say four years ago, him and I would sit down at a project. Let's say a client comes in, they do a project. So with him and I go there, you know, we kind of do like, you know, what do we need to do? Who's going to work on what, whatever. And we were kind of at like the 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 same level or very close and we could have a, you know, a, like a conversation. Now I just feel like an idiot effectively because, because like, I'm like, I, sure, sure, Mike. Yeah. that Do a call back there. That sounds good. You know, like as I, I, I can communicate technically, but I just don't have the like specific uh skills anymore but the thing i have i have noticed is i've gone from hardly being able to hold a business call to being able to fully explain things sell things i've sold a couple things recently and stuff like this so it's like i've kind of like naturally gone more business but then our social media was suffers so then i go hard into social media but then a fire breaks out in one of our projects and I got to like run over to there and like put the fire out. And then somebody needs a migration and I'm like the server guy. So I can like run over to the server. And it's just sort of like that thing where it's like, I think at this point, like or I'm reaching the point uh, talking about planning infrastructure as I always do. <laughs> I'm reaching the point of like having to choose a side and maybe hire out to fill to f- hire a firefighter effectively <laughs> at this point to put those fires out. So I can choose like, you know, this, this is my path. This is Mike's path. This is our, hires path,
2: I suppose. You know, the nice thing about the position you're in is that you can choose and you can be creative about it. You can hire somebody to handle your socials and you can hire somebody to handle the sales if you're lucky enough to find somebody who's good. And, you know, if you guys have a defined sales process and you can just, you know, oversee them while sinking deeper and deeper into the code, that's a possibility. On the other hand, you could hire somebody who's just handling the infrastructure and you can start handling more and more of the business, but of course, this is a very personal. Like I, I always say, business is personal. Uh, it's it's completely up to your personality and what draws you. you know, follow your gut and do what's right for the business, and over time, things tend to work out more often than not. Um, but but it has to be intentional.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I hundred percent agree. All, all all good insight. But uh, yeah, I think with that being said, uh, I think we're wrapping up this episode. So again, thank you, Monarch, for coming on and giving us all those little tidbits. Uh, They were great. Uh, Usually at the end of these kinds of episodes, we kind of, you know, put the floor to you. If you have any other ending remarks or shameless self-plugs, anything you want to talk (laughs) about, it's all you, Monarch. I I just want to leave by saying um, thank you.
2: For you for the time that you guys have spent with me this has been a great conversation and I, I really love um i really love your your show it's you guys have probably one of the highest production values and entertainment factors in a tech show that i've i've come across it's really compelling and i really admire what you guys are doing um for your for your audience i i just want to leave with a note saying just code don't don't stress don't worry about things Um, things work out in the long run, as long as you're putting out that message with your hands, not with your mouth, um, to the universe saying, Hey, I want a coding job or Hey, I want to progress in my coding career. Just, just, just put fingers to keyboard and code and focus on that and everything else will work out. I promise you.
1: Awesome. I mean, that's a great wrap up. And uh, yeah, thanks for the thanks for the comments. I'm the editor. So I'll take those compliments. Personally, I'll take them away from Mike um, about the quality. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, thank thank you for being on the show. It was a really great conversation and a really great insight for our audience uh, as well. And uh, we hope you have you on in the uh, in the future. Absolutely. Matt, Mike, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Monarch as much as we did. Lots of great insights in there. Lots of great uh, niche versus big things. We covered a lot of topics, you know, down to like, hey, how do I start development all the way through? Hey, how do I hop jobs? So really great uh, conversation there. Uh, and um, we hope to have Monarch back in the future. Uh, so but now, of course, you know, we can't skip this scene, even though this episode's already packed as it is. We got to do the weekly growth goals, Mike, because we I think we did skip it last week like fools uh, because we just got destroyed. But I mean, I posted publicly, I publicly posted, Mike, publicly posted my uh, weekly growth goal com- completion as of last week, which was make something um i mean i'm paraphrasing at this point but basically make it so that my media player was uh, publicly showable still a a work in progress i have a full description there on our instagram if you care to go and check that out Uh, but i have a a little media player working Uh, it all works play pause fast forward rewind volume there's different indicators all the rest of it Uh, i just got the looks uh, work just got the looks the way they are it's a little bit still of a work in progress but before there was literally just buttons all stacked on top of each other because it was like a prototype of a prototype so you know uh, but there's still some stuff I want to change a couple little things I might add as well in terms of functionality uh, again full description of all that it can be found on our Instagram go check it out at HTML all the things uh, but um, my weekly growth goal this week is just again to continue that uh, to just keep going on we have a heck of a lot of work that came flying in this week so this week you growth goal might be at I'd say a higher risk than normal um as we have a bunch of stuff that came in um a little bit of a uh, business fallout from covid times having lingered at this point so uh we picked up some of that business and uh as as an as the opportunity presented itself. And as a result, we are a little bit swamped. Uh, but you know, we uh, we got a plan and we'll hopefully execute it. So hopefully I'll get my weekly growth goal done. I uh, can't guarantee anything. Uh, but Mike kind of experiencing the same thing. What are you doing on your weekly growth goal front?
3: Yeah, so uh, my weekly growth goal last time was working on the weekly growth goals application. Uh, and I did actually get quite a bit of work done on that. Um, I've solidified like the weekly growth goal, adding the weekly growth goal, all the CRUD operation on it. Uh, I still have quite a bit to do, um, more than I anticipated. To be honest, I was going to add comments to weekly growth Calls, but having read a few articles, I just realized that it's just not a good idea unless you want to go in and filter comments on your own, or you have some sort of sophisticated comment filtering system. Almost all comment sections that are not on a you know a very uh, sophisticated website will turn into some sort of spammy like you know bots going in there and. Putting a bunch of really bad links, so I don't want to be a police. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put comments on there. That saves me some time, and uh, hopefully, I'll be able to work more on the other stuff, which is cool. But this week's golf goal will actually not be anything to do with the application. It will be the fact that I have a big meeting coming up on Thursday with some uh, w- with a quite a large company. We're gonna be pitching them on a custom solution for them, so I'm prepping for that all week. And, you know, dealing with any fallout that comes from the actual meeting. So that's my weekly growth goal. That's what I'm kind of focusing on 90% of my attention on because it's fairly important for us.
1: Yeah, and that, and that it's a good uh, contrast, though, because weekly growth goals have been mostly about, you know, sort of personal, well, I guess personal professional goals, but this time, you know, it's pretty much purely professional, uh, and that's exactly what the week, weekly growth goal is all about, you know, you work on what you can, what you should do, maybe I should even change my weekly growth goal to just finishing what we have on our plates, uh, but no, I, I've already said it, I've locked it in, um, even though that's not a rule, I'm just making it now, so uh, yeah, I mean, Hopefully this week uh, we, you know, succeed in all this. We have a lot, like I said, on our plate. Like Mike already said, his his piece. I got a bunch of stuff. I got three clients on the go right now, I think. Um, and, you know, varying all different tasks from migrations through full developments to maybe not full developments through like customizations, through heavy customizations and stuff like this and maintenance and every other thing. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a very a very full week for um, both of us. Uh, but we hope that you uh, enjoy that. Now, I don't know if we're going to do a web news this week Um we didn't do one last week due to being swamped, and I mean, we're swamped this week as well, so maybe we won't. Uh, this episode was packed, though, but if there is a web news, I mean, you'll see it. Just follow us on your podcast app. You'll see it drop there, and remember that we are on the Patreon. If you want to support the show, uh, it's patreon.com slash html, all the things. Check out the tiers. Give that a go, and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on youtube.com slash rabbitworksjavascript, Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design via localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Chris from Self Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, DL Ford from dlford.io, Bib Hashdash from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com, and uh, Jason from Geek Life Radio radio excuse me via geekliferadio.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off
0: been listening to html all the things podcast web development web design and small business we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings and we hope you had some fun we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on social media on facebook instagram and patreon at html all the things and on twitter at html everything Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.